What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Isaac Lidsky may possess the most eclectic resume in business over the years, he has been a child television star. He played the series regular Weasel on NBC's Saved by the Bell, The New Class, a Supreme Court clerk for Justices Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and the co-founder of an internet startup. More recently, Lidsky has used his gift for logistics to build ODC Construction into one of the fastest-growing construction businesses, transforming an unsophisticated $11 million concrete subcontractor that was hemorrhaging money into an industry-leading $150 million construction services company in five years. He also did this while being blind. This is one of the most inspiring episodes on how to succeed and not letting anything hold you back. Isaac, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I am doing phenomenal. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. So I want to dive right into this one. The listeners today are going to get so many actionable takeaways from this podcast with you. So I am so excited for them to hear your journey. So at 13, you're a child actor on one of the biggest TV shows, Saved by the Bell. What was that like? That was really neat. You know, I grew up uh, acting. I did a diaper commercial when I was six months old, and it was, you know, it was kind of all downhill from there. I did, you know, somewhere between 100 and 150 commercials. Didn't really, uh, didn't really count. And then, you know, the classic, quote unquote, overnight success uh, at 13, uh, when you know, after a nationwide search, uh, I was lucky enough to be cast as Weasel Wiesel on Saved by the Bell, the new class, and I moved out to Los Angeles to do the show. And it was, it was, a, it was a very neat experience. I mean, so you must have been at the highest, the highest at this point, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's a you know Hollywood fantasy dream come true, right? So not everything was all was all rosy and sunshine during this time, though, right? When you're 13, what happens? Yeah, so around the same time, I'm I'm diagnosed with a blinding eye disease, a disease called retinitis pigmentosa that causes uh, progressive deterioration of the retinas. Uh, all these bizarre visual effects and ultimately uh, blindness. What is that like? I mean, how do you hear about that news? How do you even discover you're starting to go blind? So, you know, I, I was diagnosed because one of my older sisters was having some issues with her sight. And uh, does she also have the disease? Yes, she does. As it turns out, uh, two of my three older sisters have the same disease. But, uh, you know, here I was 13 living this, you know, Hollywood fairy tale, as we said, and, um, you know, convinced that I was, you know, absolutely perfect, like any 13 year old boy is convinced. And, uh, you know, certainly no even inkling of any side issues. And then, you know, because of my um, sister's, uh, you know, concerns, we all wound up going to the eye doctor and I was diagnosed. What's that car ride home like when you find out about that? Yeah, so that was uh, one of the lowest points of my life, and you know, I was I was terrified, um, and I knew, uh, I didn't think, I knew that blindness was going to ruin my life. Um, you know, I knew it was going to be the end of uh, you know sort of life as I knew it, and you know, I knew I was destined to live a very small, sad, unremarkable life. And, uh, you know, all these awful, awful fictions born of, of fear, born of ignorance. But, um, you know, we, we can, we can, we can perceive them. We can experience them uh, as reality. And if we're not careful, 
um, in, in, in that way, they sort of become reality. So um, the early years uh, post-diagnosis were, you know, were pretty dark. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that narrative in your head and knowing this is basically the end of your life, the life that you knew. When did that transition really happen where you kind of started to be a little bit more motivated in your life? Was that a year after, three years after? How long? Yeah, so I, uh, you know, in the, it's, 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 it's hard to sort of pinpoint in the, in the early, you know, three, four years, uh, four or five years of, of the, you know, well, sorry, in the early two or three years, first two or three years post-diagnosis, I didn't really have much by way of noticeable symptoms, uh, yet. So it was pretty easy to kick the proverbial can down the road, right. And, and kind of a bit of denial, um, a lot of, uh, hope and, and, and faith and prayers for, for treatments and cures from, from scientists. Uh, then in my sort of later teen, late teens, uh, you know, I started to experience, uh, you know, some pretty substantial symptoms. I lost a lot of useful sight and, and started to struggle with this sort of bizarre world of, of being partially sighted. Uh, uh, and that's, you know, really, I guess when things got, uh, got very difficult day to day, uh, then I had this sort of epiphany moment, uh, you know, which I, I describe at length in in, in my book and, and and in some of my writing. But uh, the short version of the story is uh, that I wound up going to meet with a uh, low vision rehabilitation specialist, right, an occupational therapist who works with uh, folks who are you know, partially sighted and blind. And uh, you know, I went in there, you know, quote unquote, knowing all these awful things about this sort of, you know, doom and gloom, you know, overarching, uh, amorphous force called blindness or whatever that was going to, going to destroy my life. And, and, you know, I showed up and she dove into specific, you know, practical concrete solutions I could be using. You know, do you use a cane? Do you use screen reading software? You know, are you familiar with, uh, this newsline service to, you know, listen to newspapers and, uh, at first I was kind of confused and a little frustrated, right? I was thinking to myself, this isn't why I'm here, right? I'm here to talk about this, you know, blindness, capital B, this, I'm here to talk about, you know, the sort of the, the, the fading away of, of life as I know it. Uh, I'm here to talk about sort of tomorrow, you know, and by the way, you know, I can handle today, right? Um, you know, I can get by, I figured it out. Today is not my problem. Um, and then it, it really, it struck me, uh, in, in her office, Chris was her name that, uh, you know, there is no tomorrow, right? There only ever is today, you know, right now, this moment, you know, and, um, in that moment, you know, I realized that everything I, you know, thought I knew about going blind or being blind was these awful lies. What age were you when you met with her, with Chris? Oh, I would say roughly 20 years old, 19 or 20. Okay. Maybe 21. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think it was 21. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you know, the, 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 you know, it hit me in her office that, uh, uh, in a sense I was choosing to believe all these awful things. Right. And in a sense, if I wanted to, I could, I could choose, uh, to live that, that life, to make that my, my reality. Yeah. I mean, a quote I've heard you use master the reality you create for yourself. What does this quote mean to you? You know, it, it, you know, it's sort of, it, it means just this in, in so many ways, uh, you know, we're, we're built to do this, right? We're wired to do this evolutionarily, at least kind of how our brain works. And it's, it's very useful in many ways, but it can also be pernicious. So, you know, in, in so many ways we, we experience 
as uh, as objective reality, as sort of immutable truth, as as circumstances beyond our control. Uh, much of what is in truth machinations of the mind. Um, you know, are the self-limiting assumptions we make about ourselves, uh, the way we can misperceive what uh, success uh, looks like or means, what value looks like, what uh, luck, the force of luck in life is something I think we, we, we grossly uh, misunderstand or at least oversimplify. Um, can you go you know, further fail- on that about luck? Luck, sure. So let's see. We, I think... Uh, I think we tend to misperceive luck in, in, in at least two pretty critical ways. First, uh, I believe that uh, we have this sense that there is sort of good luck or bad luck, that things are great or, or awful. And, and, and I, I'm pretty convinced that uh, things aren't good or bad. They just are. Um, and, you know, we, we make of, of things what we will, what we want, and that's our choice. So, I mean, I'll give you – an example for me, you know, going blind, uh, it, it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened. The insights that I gained as I slowly lost my sight have brought me immeasurable rewards in life uh, and fulfillment. And so, you know, was I lucky or unlucky to go blind? I mean, who knows? It's it's almost uh, a worthless question as far as I'm concerned. Um, the second the second way in which I think we kind of get luck wrong is. Uh, you know, it's related. We 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 te- when we think about luck, we tend to kind of be be in this sort of binary world where events are either kind of within our control or not within our control. And uh, and I think the truth is a lot more nuanced and complex. And I think there's uh, a lot more of quote unquote luck that is uh, within our uh, our control. That is, you know, uh, that we have the opportunity to influence and shape. Um, but it's certainly a lot easier to just kind of, um, you know shrug your shoulders and say, it's, you know, it's luck at work here. Yeah. I mean, that's a very interesting perspective and one you obviously had the experience to talk on. I want to rewind slightly. I I was curious to hear that when you met with Chris, the doctor, you were at 20 or 21 at the time. How did you graduate Harvard at 19? (laughs) I mean, I'm blown away by that. (laughs) You know, I, um, really, it was, (laughs) A series of circumstances. So I, I a series of circumstances. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I started school uh, on the younger side. I have a summer birthday, you know, it's July 30th is my birthday. But, um, and then uh, along the way I skipped, I skipped two grades. I skipped seventh grade. And then I, um, I found myself in, in loss. I moved out to LA to do the sitcom, as I mentioned. And I found myself out in Los Angeles, having determined that acting was not going to be a great sort of long-term career for me, not ultimately the right fit and kind of wanting to move on. Uh, as I was, uh, you know, beginning my junior year of high school out, out in LA and didn't really want to move back to my hometown of Miami for a random senior year of high school. And, and, and frankly, I felt I was ready for college. So I, I applied to college as a as a junior in high school, wrote a letter to, to the admissions offices explaining why I thought I was ready to head off to school. And uh, anyway, so I, I, you know, I took I took four years in school, and uh, but but I did graduate at, at nineteen. I started college, I guess, a few weeks after I turned sixteen. Was college difficult for you? I mean, I'm just assuming there there's two parts of that question. Both obviously going to Harvard is is no easy task in itself, and then also being that age, so much younger you than know, your peers at the time. It, it it did pose 
uh, uncommon challenges, I guess, my age in ways that I was not necessarily aware of at the time. But but looking back, you know, there definitely you know, there's pros and cons to everything in life. Uh, and I, I'm frankly not not big on spending too much time uh, figuring them out. But certainly when you're talking about it in retrospect. But anyway, uh, you know, it definitely was not your average college experience being being so young. That said, I, I absolutely loved my time at Harvard. I really thrive there. I love my classes. I, uh, you know, made great lifelong friends. And, and so, um, you know, it worked out for me. Do you have higher than average intelligence? Yes. When did you realize this at a very early age? Uh, you know, it's hard to, I mean, I guess you, you realize it, uh, as a kid, you know, through the comments uh, of of those around you you know your your, your parents your teachers your, your, your friends and then you kind of start to notice it i guess in, in in relative terms um you know things that that are uh you know uh, simple to you or clear or or, or you know you know others can struggle with but uh, but yeah that's something that i was uh, was definitely blessed with so at 19 what did you think was next <laughs> what i thought was next <laughs> was going straight into law school i had always wanted to go to law school to learn to think like a lawyer, to learn to think like my dad, uh, frankly. What about that intrigued you? You know, so my, so my father, he's retired now, but he was a, um, you know, you're sort of your, your classic solo practitioner hung out a shingle out of law school. Both of my parents are Cuban immigrants. So, you know, my dad opens up shop in Hialeah, Florida, primarily, uh, Cuban American clientele, um, not the sort of sexiest, most earth shattering, you know, cases you could imagine, but the guy, uh, was, you know, and is just, he's you know, a bruiser, your, your, your street lawyer, right. He gets, gets in there and, <laughs> you know, and makes it happen. And, and, you know, I, I love the way friends and family would come to my dad and sort of present their, their problems. And he's sort of almost Godfather, like he would help them, you know, <laughs> sort it out. And, you know, sometimes it, you know, but was months of pain and frustration for a family friend, you know, took, you know, a letter and a phone call from my dad to, to resolve it. So I was always aware of the fact that the way my dad looked at the world was a little different, you know, rules and norms and all that. That kind of was more of a gray area for my dad. So, um, so yeah, I always wanted to go to law school, learn to think like him. And the plan was to go straight, straight through from college. Um, and then, in, uh, you know, in the beginning of 1999, the, the year I graduated, my, um, my brother-in-law, Joe Zawadzki, uh, reached out and he had some ideas to start a, you know, internet advertising technology startup. And you know, this was right before the bubble burst. So, you know, basically the plan was, you know, put some spreadsheets together, you know, raise millions from VCs and, you know, become billionaires on paper overnight. And that seemed like a pretty good idea. So, <laughs> Um, so I deferred my admission to law school and, and started, uh, this business with Joe. Huh. And so how long were you in there? I mean, cause I, I'm just looking at your resume. You have one of the most impressive resumes I've ever come across. Graduated Harvard law school, magnum cum laude, U S justice department lawyer. I mean, you've done some incredible things after that. I mean, did you constantly just say, Hey, what's next? I'm on this trajectory <laughs> and I'm just going to keep going to the moon. <laughs> so... You know, central to this idea of, uh, you know, sort of living your life eyes wide open, right? You know, kind of aware of this of this reality you're creating for yourself. Central to that uh, for, for me is really uh, 
you know, a zealous uh, commitment to stay in tune with what's what's important to you and, and what do you want to be doing with your time and, and you know, what does success look like to you? And of course, those things uh, change uh, and evolve uh, throughout our lives, uh, in different circumstances. We start families and, and uh, you know, um, I guess this is my basically my rationalization for saying <laughs> um, that um, I've been, yeah, I've been very lucky. You know, every, every three, four years, it seems I, I wind up, uh, reinventing myself in some way. But, you know, again, it, if you take any one of those sort of, uh, transitions and, and sort of delve into it, it, it made great sense to me at the time, even though the sort of net result of this, uh, sort of mosaic of, uh, of experiences doesn't necessarily seem to have a, a lot of, uh, sense behind it. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. As someone who's always looking for ways to improve my mental and physical performance, I started using Four Sigmatic about a year ago, and I love their products. At Four Sigmatic, they believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. Everyone's talking about Four Sigmatic, including Time Magazine, Vogue, Forbes, even the New York Times. My favorite product is their convenient new brain stick pack. Perfect before a workout or a study session, their dual mushroom blend supports memory attention and brain health. I also have been using their cordyceps before workouts and love the results. I've experienced the benefits of these delicious packets, but now it's time for you too as well. To receive 15% off your order, use discount code WGYT at checkout at foursigmatic.com or by heading to foursigmatic.com forward slash WGYT. I mean, you mentioned what does success look like to us? And you mentioned maybe it's it's focusing on your family and you and your wife were fortunate enough to become pregnant. And not just with one, you guys ended up having triplets and the health was not the easiest part of this all. You want to dive into that a bit? Sure. Yeah, that was, uh, man, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about. Uh, what was more difficult that, finding out your blinder going through that with your wife? Oh, unquestionably the experience that Dorothy and I had, hmm. uh, you know, bringing, uh, bringing the triplets into the world and then bringing them home from the hospital 70 days later. Um, that was the most difficult thing I've done in my life. And I hope it will always be <laughs> the most difficult thing. Um, it's, uh, it is so, uh, sort of soul crushing and agonizing to, uh, worry for the health and well-being of your children. There's just nothing like it. Uh, and, uh, you know, as you, as, as you indicated, I guess, sort of, I guess filling in the blanks, a triplet pregnancy is, you know, inherently a, a complex and, 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 and sort of high risk pregnancy. And there were definitely some concerns throughout Dorothy wound up spending four weeks, uh, on bed rest, uh, in the hospital with some pretty serious concerns about, uh, about one of the one of our children, and then uh, they were born. Let's see, the triplets were born at 29 weeks and three days, weighing less than seven and a half pounds combined. Wow. Um, yeah, one of my sons weighed a pound and a half when he was born, uh, and so they naturally uh, required um, 
you know, the best medicine had to offer to, um, you know, to help them, uh, uh, survive that, that, that sort of prematurity and that, that low birth weight. So like I said, they were, they were in the NICU, the, you know, neonatal intensive care unit for, for 70 days. And that was, uh, that was quite, quite, quite an experience. Miraculously, they all came home, uh, healthy and thriving and strong. And, and I use the word miraculously, you know, deliberately because, uh, uh, there's just no other way to explain it. Yeah. I mean, I just have chills going down my spine thinking about what you and Dorothy went through. When, when you find out they are healthy, they're back from the hospital. How does your life perspective shift? Yeah. So, uh, around this time I was practicing law for a big international law firm, right? I had kind of moved on from the phenomenal experiences I had in the public sector in law working for, as you said, you know, the justice department and Supreme court and all that. Now I was, you know, had the very lucrative job working for the big posh law firm. And I was already pretty, pretty dissatisfied with my work. It wasn't, it wasn't for me. And I was kind of already starting to think about needing a plan B. Then you go through an experience, you know, like the one Dorothy and I had, you know, bringing our kids uh, home and man, it just becomes clear as day. Um, I, you know, I cannot rationalize or justify, uh, you know, getting up every day to go to this office, to do this work. It is not, it's not me. It's not what I want to be doing. It's not, you know, it's not who I want to be. Um, how long into that job did you discover that? Uh, so I worked for the firm for, I mean, I think I discovered that, you know, maybe, you know, three, four months in that I was not super happy. Um, but I, I think I ultimately wound up working for the firm for maybe a little over a year, a year and a half. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, I mean, it was the moment that you and Dorothy with your triplets, it was kind of that, that you realized life's too important to continue doing something I'm unsatisfied with. Yes. And, uh, for me, it is very important, uh, to have a professional life that, uh, affords me ample time to, to play with my kids. Uh, to be at home, to be around them. Uh, I, I love being with my kids. Uh, and, you know, by the way, I, I want that home to look like, you know, a house with a yard that we can play in, not, you know, a two-bedroom apartment in Manhattan. Hmm. So then what's next? <laughs> uh, so what is next? So we, let's see. So I talked to my, co- I, actually, I went and met with a career coach because I figured, man, uh, there, there are people who are expert in this and I'm not one of them. So maybe someone can help me figure out what to do. So was that before or after you left the job? No, before this was kind of, gotcha. this was okay. before. Yeah. Um, and, uh, she did all these, uh, you know, profiles and you know, skill assessment and whatever. And all the data came back and unequivocally said, you know, you should lead a team, you know, you should be a, a CEO or a, you know, manager of a team. And, you know, that, that's, that's what, that's, what's going to, you know, make you happy. Uh, which was exceptionally unhelpful news because you know, <laughs> nobody was beating down my door to hire me to run their business. Right. You know, you know, mid-level associate at a law firm is not, you know, top of the list for you know, the next CEO of, uh, <laughs> you know, Apple or whatever. Uh, so I'm, I was chatting with my, my, my college roommate, Zach, and one of my closest friends and, 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 you know, Zach quite audaciously said, why, why don't we buy a small business together? Uh, and you know, you, you can run it and I'll help you find it. I'll help you pay for it. And 
as 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 my uh, as Dorothy's then I think nine or ten year old cousin put it, we could we could buy me a job. Uh, so that you gotta love the did. bluntness of young kids right no oh, i know i love it <laughs> i explained this whole thing to her and there's this long pause and she goes so you bought a job like, yep that's, <laughs> that's exactly great. what i did yeah <laughs> so that's what we did yeah so i mean then i mean you guys you guys move where you're living you end up back in florida and now you're you're running something so completely different with uh taking this somewhat failing business correct in odc construction and then within what, five years, you guys built this up? Yes. So we didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> we thought we were buying a business that was getting along, let's say treading water. Uh, but in fact, it, we bought a business that was sinking like a stone. All the all the financial data we meticulously analyzed and poured over and modeled were, were you know, uh, nonsense, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Uh, and once we were, once we were in, you know, in the, in the business and, you know, looked under the hood and spent three, four months sorting it all out, we realized that this thing was, was hemorrhaging money and it into tailspin. So it turned out to be a, a pretty, uh, intense, uh, two, three years, uh, to sort of, you know, really turn the, turn the business around, uh, uh, build the team, build the, build the vision and, and, um, sort of go from there. We, we were, we were blessed with phenomenal success, frank, frankly, success beyond my wildest, uh, uh, imagination or dreams. Um, I, 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 I largely credit my team. Um, uh, our timing was good luck, you know, hard work, all of the above. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so in, in, in 2011, just to put some context on this, um, we booked about $15 million in sales, top line revenue. Um, and we lost, we lost money doing it. We lost a pile of money doing it, which, is it's not a good idea. I do not recommend that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then, so last year, 2017, we, uh, uh, had, had, you know, great, uh, profit margins, profit margins that are, you know, in line with what uh, we'd want in our industry, uh, on, um, 200 million revenue. Um, and that's in six years. So what, what the, what the team has done is just, you know, astounding. I mean, can we talk about some of the granule gritty details? So, I mean, sure. during that early stage, I mean, you you sacrificed your salary, correct? I mean, I want to know what the the conflicts that creates at home. Are you stressing about your, your family life? Uh, are your employees going to lose their jobs? What's that like being the CEO in that scenario? That was awful. I mean, the, I confronted uh, anxiety of, uh, 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 at an intensity that uh, – I've had never, uh, you know, I've never wanted to experience uh, before or after. I, I would literally, I would have like, you know, panic attacks throughout the day. I mean, picture it, you know, three, four months earlier, you know, Dorothy and I, I I'm literally boring this poor woman with, you know, ramblings about my metaphysical discontent <laughs> practicing law, right? You know, this Harvard law, fancy, you know, fancy lawyer she married. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm dissatisfied with law. And now I've put every penny we have into this business, borrowed a bunch more signing personal guarantees. And we literally spoke, uh, with her parents, uh, about, uh, whether we could move in with them with our then year old triplets. Cause it looked like a bankruptcy was imminent and I wasn't going to be able to pay our rent. Uh, so it was quite a, quite a. A turnaround, I guess, no pun intended, but um, 
you know, we, uh, you know, we did the deeds that needed to be done. Uh, and I would, you know, like I said, I was blessed with just a remarkable, uh, core team of, of managers and what they've watching them grow and thrive and, you know, evolve from the, you know, the doers of an organization with, you know, less than a dozen corporate employees to the, to the, you know, to the uh, very competent and, and successful managers in a, in a business with more than 150 corporate employees, you know, it's, it's just been uh, a blessing to watch all that happen. It's been a, a great experience. I mean, you compliment your employees so much, but I mean, it must've been pretty easy for them at this time with the stress to say, Hey, I- I'm getting out of here. This business is not going to su- succeed. What is it that you do? And, and you're so unique in your talent that you're able to get them to believe in you and this concept and to continue to trudge forward with this business and understand what the long-term goals and expectations could be? You know, I, um, I'm a pretty transparent guy. You know, what you see is what you get with me. Um, and I, I think, uh, it was clear to my team from day one that, uh, I was all in, uh, this was my, this was my passion. I had a commitment to, uh, to them the, the goal was to build something excellent that we could all be proud of, uh, to do it by the way, while having some fun together, not to take ourselves too seriously. And, you know, pretty early on, we, we, we shared a vision for, for doing something special together. And, uh, you know, I can only thank them and thank God that, that when, uh, you know, as you say, when it looked like the, the ship was sinking, uh, for the most part, they stuck, they stuck with me. Um, and I, I'm sure glad they did. Is there one defining moment during all those trials and tribulations with the business that just really stand out that say, you know what, this was a, a changing point for everything? Yeah. So this, this is a, this is a crazy story. It's just, with every, uh, with every passing year, I find it harder to believe that this actually happened, but, but I assure you that it did. What ultimately saved the business, uh, sort of mo- the most sort of proximate cause of, uh, of our rescue was an infusion of cash, uh, from my mom. So, so, so picture this, I call my mom really in the, in the worst of all this, uh, not sleeping, not eating, lost a ton of weight, you know, anxious. And I finally kind of call my mom to fill her in to tell her that I've basically destroyed, you know, our, our, our financial lives and probably my professional life too, because it's going to be pretty hard to get a job at a big law firm if you're bankrupt. So anyway, uh, my mom says to me, I have $350,000 in cash. Uh, I want you to take it and fix this. Wait, in physical cash? Yes. What, so she, she just cleaning up at the local poker game here? Well, you know, so it, it, the story suggests that my mother's a drug dealer. She's not, <laughs> I assure you. Um, <laughs> She is, though, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a Cuban immigrant. So her, her father had to start over from scratch two or three times in his life, right? In his, in his life, banks come and go. I mean, heck, governments come and go. And so he instilled in his daughter the importance of saving for that rainy day. And, and for him, the only real way to save was to save physical currency. So unbeknownst to any of us, certainly, I had no idea, over, what, 30, 40 years, my mom you know, squirreling away 50 bucks here, hundred bucks there, 20 bucks there. You know, she had 350 grand literally in cash in a bag. Uh, so <laughs> I then had to wrestle with the idea with the question, whether to take it or not. Yeah. You got mom's life, life savings on the line. Mom's here. life savings. <laughs> you know, there's the expression throwing good money after bad. You know, <laughs> there, there's the fact that, uh, you know, in the moment, 
uh, I am convinced that I am the least qualified human being uh, to run my business, if not any business, right? I mean, I, I don't have a pretty good track record at this point. Uh, and yet, you know, a couple days later, picture this, Do Dorothy and I get in the, our Chevy Suburban, we strap the, uh, the, you know, year old triplets into the back. It's well before dawn, right? It's like five o'clock in the morning or whatever. And, uh, we drive down the Florida turnpike from Orlando to Miami. Meanwhile, my mom is on the same turnpike heading toward us. Uh, from you know Miami to Orlando, we meet about halfway in the parking lot of a gas station at a at a rest stop of the turnpike, and my mom gives me three hundred fifty thousand dollars in a bag. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and that's that was what bought us barely enough runway to uh, you know to get the thing off the ground. That's unbelievable. Are you even able to deposit that into a bank? What do you? <laughs> you know, so I did. Uh, <laughs> I did the only thing that can be done in that situation. I went straight to my lawyer's office <laughs> and I said to, uh, to the company's lawyer, Hey, there's nothing illegitimate about this, by the way, it's perfectly legal uh, to say squirrel away cash. If you'd like, um, it may, however, raise some questions at the bank. So, you know, I said to him, you know, Terry, it's your job to get this in our operating account. And so he did. <laughs> there you go, Terry. Oh, that's an yeah. unbelievable story. And yeah. what I love so much about, I mean, all of these different steps you've taken, at one point, did you not talk about during this entire process, you were blind and how you had to overcome that? I mean, can we talk about that a little bit? <laughs> what, I mean, I'm just picturing, I mean, even going through law school, just the thousands and thousands of pages of documents, how do you go through reading that? How, how do you become a successful lawyer? So, uh, the, the specific answer is there, there's a screen reading technology, which is, you know, software that essentially, you know, narrates your interaction with the computer, reads the text to you, help, you know, enables you to navigate menus and do, I can essentially do anything a sighted person would do on their computer, but, you know, I use this sort of screen reading software. So that's how I accomplished so much of the reading. You know, similarly, there's, you can use like, um, sort of closed circuit television thing where, you know, you, you essentially train the camera on the, on the page of a, of a book and it then does OCR and gets you the text or whatever, which you can read to you or so short, short, a bigger picture. There's practical solutions for, for these problems. It's really not that bad, uh, being blind. The, the assumptions we make, we're inherently visual creatures, right? Sight just dominates our consciousness. But, uh, as a result, you know, we, we make, these assumptions about how awful and debilitating and, you know, hopeless life must be, uh, blind. And it, it's just really not. So it's, it's not that bad at all. So, uh, so check this out. You start listening to a lot of stuff, right? Uh, you know, listen to documents, listen to books, listen to newspapers, listen to, you know, and, and over time, uh, the human, the human organism is very adaptable. It's a miraculous thing. You, you, you develop the ability to listen faster and faster and kind of nudge up the rate of speed, nudge up the rate of speed, you know, et cetera. And in, in my experience over the years, it, it's gotten to the point where I now read, you know, using my ears far, uh, faster than I could ever read using my eyes. Um, so it's like, if I had perfect sight tomorrow, I, I don't know that I would change the way I read. Hmm. 
I mean, I'm so interested by that as well. I almost want to <laughs> find out some of the technologies you're using because I, I, I'm huge into audible, uh, obviously uh-huh. podcasts and everything I do, I speed it up where if I listen at normal speed, it just sounds so slow. So, I mean, yes. yeah, it makes perfect sense. So check this out. I think they say the average, uh, American English speaker speaks about 150 words a minute. The average reader reads something in the ballpark of like 300 or 350 words a minute. I can listen to 700 words a minute. <laughs> I mean, so you're just taking in so much more knowledge right now, aren't you? Yes. Again, I mean, I, I don't know that I'd change the way I read if I had perfect sight tomorrow. What's the most difficult thing day to day for you right now? Ooh, that's a tough question. Okay. Well, so I was in a sweet spot in life where there really wasn't much that bugged me about my blindness. Um, children changed that. <laughs> and, and, and I really, you know, there's no other way. It's, it's painful to me, uh, at times that I can't see my kids and, uh, you know, it is what it, everyone has their challenges and their thing. It, it just is what it is. That's, that's, that's mine. And so uh, I deal with it and we deal with it. Um, but so on, on there the- are things I miss out on, you know, I don't, I don't go outside and throw a football with my sons. On the positive side of that, though, what little things do you appreciate so much more with your kids because you're blind? Well, I, I listen to everything and I hear everything. <laughs> so it's funny. People often like assume they say, there we go with something and they're like, oh, your kids must get away with so much, you know, because you're blind. And the answer really is like, it's, it's, it's really, it's really the opposite. Like you know, I can, we can be, we can have friends over, be sitting at the table, like in the middle of a conversation at dinner. And if one of my kids, you know, steps out of their room upstairs, like I hear it <laughs> and I know. <laughs> so, so they, I think they actually probably get away with less, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it, it, there it's children are so it's just a beautiful thing. They, they don't know any different and they just don't care. And it's the most natural thing in the world to them. Uh, even, you know, my, my two year, my, we have the, the triplets are seven now and we have a, a two year old daughter as well. Clementine, you know, it's just Dorothy says, go show daddy, you know, if she has a new toy or a whatever, uh, you know, go show daddy and Clementine will, you know, totter over and put it right in my hands. I mean, she knows go show daddy means, you know, put it in his hands. Uh, you know, and that's cool. And it's just totally normal to her. Oh, it's just, it's unbelievable hearing these stories about you being a father with your kids. And I mean, I think it just helps me and hopefully the listeners appreciate some of the small things that we might take for granted that uh, you don't get to experience at times. But obviously, like you mentioned, there's so many things that you do get to get to experience on a greater degree. So, I mean, you then create this business with ODC Construction. What inspired you to then write your book, Eyes Wide Open? So I had long wanted to write this book. It's a vision. Again, I, I happened to gain this vision through the by losing my sight, but it really is, in a sense, you know, this peek behind the curtain into sort of the machinations of the mind. And, and it, I've long wanted to share this with with the world, and and in particular my children. And as my you know children you know grew to toddlers and whatever, and the the urge to write this book sort of grew. You know, then then I find myself in the situation where this this business is you know like I said succeeding beyond my wildest imagination. I've got these. Uh, I've got this team of folks who are thriving and crushing it, and and by the way, have experience in this industry, and you know this is what they do, and 
uh, I just felt that, uh, you know, they had earned, uh, earned the privilege and the opportunity of running this business. Uh, I felt that getting out of their way was in many ways the best thing I could do for the company. Um, you know, and, and, and critically there was, you know, no, no excuse, no, no reason not to write this book. So, uh, you know, one day I went in and chatted with our, our then chief operating officer, Tony Hartsgrove. I said, Hey, you know, Tony, why, why don't we spend some time working me out of a job and make you the president of the company? And, and I'm going to write this book. That's what I did. I mean, it gets, it gets back to your team. Once, once again, you commend them and, is that more the hiring process? You hired a great team, or were you so good at building them up? Well, I reject the second uh, <laughs> the second suggestion out of hand. Uh, I'd assume you would. <laughs> I mean, but I guess let's reframe that. What little things are you able to do to help people succeed in the role they are, and then get them prepared for future roles? So then, along the way, we've made some really, you know, really key hires too. Some some great hires. We've brought brought people in uh, uh, to the business. I mean, there's been times where. Uh, Tony, for example, has gone out, you know, in the industry and found exceptional folks who, you know, had no idea they were even considering, you know, leaving, leaving their jobs or, you know, coming aboard ODC and, and, you know, got to know them. And over months, you know, next thing you know, they, they, they joined the dream team. So, um, it's, I'm a firm believer in, in the idea. Others have put it a lot more eloquently than, than I have and have studied it rigorously, but, um, it's, you know, it's people above all else in business. It's, it just has to be. Yeah, it's just so important. Is is there yeah. one most memorable day in your business career thus far? Uh, with with ODC construction uh, across across everything. I mean, it could have been. Oh well, I mean, it's hard to pick a, a most memorable. I mean, there, there's there's just been this has been you know what you'd expect. It's it's I've been blessed to live a rich life with a lot of a lot of ups and downs along the way, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. I mean, I'll say clerking for for Sandra Day O'Connor was amazing. Uh, she is, uh, I am just, I adore that woman, uh, on every level. And, uh, she was so good to me and my family and, and taught me so much. Uh, so, uh, what comes to mind is, is, is some of the, some of the fun, fun experiences that we had with, uh, with the justice, including, uh, including traveling with her, which is quite an experience, uh, as you might imagine, but, uh, yes, I can only imagine. <laughs> I mean, someone like Sandra Day O'Connor, that's just incredible that, you got to work with someone like that. And like you mentioned, just so many things you were able to take away. So, I mean, what's next for you? I mean, I, I, I can't imagine what is next. You've already accomplished so much. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, the, the, the book, uh, and, and also a Ted talk that I did, uh, uh, you know, blessed that they, they were pretty successful. And as a result, I, uh, I do a lot of, of speaking these days to corporations and organizations, uh, really all around the world. Um, I just, you know, with, with, with the, with the new year and all, I just took a look at last year, 2017. And I spoke, um, 32 times in seven countries to more than 30,000 people wow. in 2017, Tremendous which is awesome impact because there. yeah, you know, for me, uh, doing the speaking and the writing and the blogging and the podcast, I, I have a podcast myself as well. Um, it's, it's, it's simple. It's all about sharing this vision with people and, and, and trying to convince them to, you know, see what I see, you know, in, in their lives. So, uh, impact is great. So I'm doing a lot of that, which, which keeps me busy. I do think this year, 2018, I will, um, I will probably undertake new, new business ventures and I'm, I'm still, 
I'm still sorting through what that might look like. I got you. You mentioned the, the, the TED Talk, the podcast. We're obviously going to have all those things linked up in the show notes. Um, but if there's one thing you could have the listeners implement in their lives to, to appreciate life more, to get more out of it, what would you have them do? So I, I, I would urge your listeners uh, to, to really uh, uh, think critically about the idea that it, it's not the circumstances you confront uh, in your life, uh, that dictate, uh, the reality you experience. Uh, it's just not, there are countless examples of people who have overcome, uh, you know, the worst imaginable in life and have done so with, uh, with purpose and, and, and fulfillment. So, you know, how the circumstances you confront in your life, uh, manifest themselves in, in, in the life you experience, the reality you experience is entirely within your control. And, uh, that's a liberating idea. It's an empowering idea. It's also one that puts a lot of responsibility uh, on us, right? Um, so uh, if you can if you can see your way clear to uh, to buying that idea, as I hope you will, it's ultimately the the, the main idea of the book. Uh, if you can get there, the rest is details. Uh, the rest is is a lot of work and practical steps and things like that. But uh, but it's details. Wow, Isaac, I cannot thank you enough. This has had a very profound impact on my life, both reading your book and in this conversation we had today. Where else can the listeners stay connected with you? I know the website, lidsky.com. I'm assuming the book uh, purchased through Amazon, and I know it's also available on audio or uh, Audible. Where else can they connect with you? Yeah, so lidsky.com, you can find find everything there. As you said, yeah, there is an audio book, which I got to read myself, which was very cool. I'm a I'm a avid consumer of, of audiobooks. It was very fun to be in the booth being like, you know, <laughs> uh, this is the author, Isaac Linsky or whatever. That's like, well, not the author. It's me. But anyway. Um, so yeah, Litsky.com is the, is the way to go. L I D S K Y.com. And the one thing that I would, would really ask is I would love to hear from you, the listener. Um, you can, you can provide your feedback through the website. I read every single submission. This is a labor of love for me. I, I want to know what you think. I want to know what all this means to you. So if you would share it with me, I'd be grateful. Great. Well, Isaac, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. As someone who's always looking for ways to improve my mental and physical performance, I started using Four Sigmatic about a year ago, and I love their products. At Four Sigmatic, they believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. Everyone's talking about Four Sigmatic, including Time Magazine, Vogue, Forbes, even the New York Times. My favorite product is their convenient new Brain Stick Pack. Perfect before a workout or a study session, their dual mushroom blend supports memory attention and brain health. I also have been using their cordyceps before workouts and love the results. I've experienced the benefits of these delicious packets, but now it's time for you to as well. To receive 15% off your order, use discount code WGYT at checkout at foursigmatic.com or by heading to foursigmatic.com forward slash WGYT. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. 
Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted the cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Let's face it, we all want to look good in the clothes we wear, but I got tired of sifting through the racks looking for a quality pair of jeans that cost less than $300. Then I found Distilled. DSTLD, pronounced Distilled, offers premium denim and essentials at an affordable price. Their products cost just one-third of what other premium brands charge because Distilled refuses to work with middlemen, bringing savings directly to you. Just go to dstld.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.